0: Indiana's own Jimmy Stewart in Shenandoah, one of my favorite clips, as he tries to talk to this young man about what it's like to go into marriage. Last Sunday morning, if you weren't here with us, we are on a journey. We've been in Colossians chapter 3 for quite a while, and last Sunday morning we stopped on verses 18 and 19, wives submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord, and husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Right in the middle of that, I felt like I was running as fast as I could to the end. I was in high gear, going all the way at mock speed, and then all of a sudden you got to put on the brakes and almost go into reverse, and then end, just because of time constraints and knowing that there is so much wonderful material that God wants to speak to us about through His Word that it was hard to continue on. And because we obviously have two services, I needed to stop at that moment and come back to it next week. We're right in the middle of a discussion on what marriage is supposed to be. We laid a foundation for it last week out of the Word of God. We talked about His original design from the beginning, how God took two people in the context of that Garden of Eden and allowed them and gave them the opportunity and the privilege to rule over the earth. We went back to a number of sections of Scripture, and so that's why I have in your bulletin this morning's sermon notes so you can see all the messages we talked about or all the phrases we used, all the Scripture that we utilized, a couple great books that you can see as resources, and... Some things to kind of help you catch up to where we left off. I painted a portrait. I think God does a marvelous job of painting portraits all the way through Scripture. And he gives us at the beginning of time, the beginning of the story of humanity, this wonderful gift of a model of what marriage is supposed to be. Two people, joint heirs, co-heirs, in this journey together. I read to you some excerpts last Sunday morning out of the book Captivating... That longing in the heart of a woman to share life together as a great adventure comes straight from the heart of God, who longs for this as well. He doesn't want to be an option in our lives. He doesn't want to be a tag along, nor does any woman. God is essential. He wants us to want Him desperately. Eve is essential as well. She has an irreplaceable role to play. That was God's design from the beginning, and then came the fall, and all of that was shattered. Having forfeited our confidence in God, we believe that in order to find the life that we want, we've got to take matters into our own hands and sin and selfishness enter the picture and destroy God's design. Marriage, as God designed it, suffered the consequences as a result of that. The innocence that was there in that Garden of Eden, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, was shattered. The oneness, the co-regency, was gone. And then out of that comes the curse. We find it in Genesis chapter 3 where God says to the woman, I I need you to know that I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing with pain you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. He will rule over you and you'll fight against it. As a result of the curse, that's not how God designed it. Headship, absolutely. That's what God intended. Ruling over dominating was not what God intended. Before the curse, mutual Unity, mutual submission, now because of sin, male domination and female manipulation, and marriage partners end up at a war with one another. Chauvinism, domination, you see it all the way through Scripture in Jesus' day and in Paul's day. Marriage dominated by sin, Satan, and society, and we find ourselves in an all-out war to destroy the home. So last Sunday morning, I asked the question at the end, what do we do and how do we get it back? Was this really a legitimate question. And this morning I want to answer that by going to three or four sections of Scripture. In Philippians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 5, and Colossians chapter 3, Paul gives us some really great advice. How to get back to what we once had, how do we get back to marriage as God designed it, how do we try to understand one another within the context of marriage, and how do we live it out so the next generation knows what to do? Because to be really honest with you, for a lot of us in this room, we have lived our lives and we've come to a moment in time where we now have the opportunity to impact the next generation and they're watching us. They're trying to figure out what marriage is all about. They're going to have a number of different definitions out there, going to have a number of different people in all contexts of life telling them what marriage ought to be and I can't figure out a woman. You'll never figure her out. You really don't want to get to that man or be with that man for the rest of your life. It's going to, and the list is endless. And then you had that whole context of the barrage of information coming at us, trying to tell us what marriage ought to be. Not a lot of great, a lot, a lot of great models out there in the media. Men don't look, men don't look really good. Marriages don't look really good. Redefined it and defined it in so many different ways, we're not sure what it's like. So, what I'd love to do is just go back to the Word of God and take three or four sections of Scripture and lay them over what I believe God would want in our homes and in our marriages. Philippians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 3, and Ephesians 5, Paul gives some really great advice. First thing is to empty yourself and allow Christ to come in. The first step that we ought to take in a journey with God to try to figure out what that means in our own lives and then in our marriage and then in our home is to invite Christ into our lives. Realize and recognize that we can't do this on our own. We can't live the life that God is intending us to live. We can't figure marriage out the way God wants it to be and, and we're trying to put all those parameters around it and so I'm just simply encouraging you to take that very first step and to make sure you've committed your life to Christ and then once you take that step of commitment Take the next step of full saturation. I saying, God, I, I really need you to control every aspect of my being. I need to give myself completely to you, not only to allow you to come, in my, to come into my life, but I want to be filled with your spirit. Everything changes as I give my life to Christ and I place myself under the control of his spirit. As I do that, Colossians 3 said there's some transformation that needs to take place, a transition that your body and your personality need to go through, your whole psyche needs to take on. You've got to get rid of some stuff. Some of the things you used to do before you came to faith in Christ, you ought not to do anymore. And now that you come to faith in Christ, let me give you some ideas as to what to, what to put on. And it's going to really look well and work incredibly well within the context of your marriage. Put on humility. Instead of selfishness, put on humility. Put on kindness. Put on compassion. Put on gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Give each other the opportunity to grow. Forgive as you've been forgiven over all of those virtues. Put on love. Not just talk about love or say the phrase, I love you, but really demonstrate it. Let them see what it really looks like. And when you look at those words, compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness and the ability to forgive and the ability to encourage one another, to bear with one another and to give each other the opportunity to grow and really demonstrate love, how wonderful, how amazing it would be if we did that within the context of marriage. Can you imagine what our marriages would look like? Let the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for everything. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me give you a better way. In humility, think of this in the context of your marriage, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of someone else. In your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Jesus who, by his very nature, was God. But he didn't hold on to that so tightly that he couldn't let it go, and so he emptied himself. He fully submitted himself to the plan of God, and he yielded himself to God's control, and it ultimately took him to the cross. So in your relationships, in your marriage, keep in mind what Jesus did. He wasn't in it for himself. He wasn't in it for his own glory. He wasn't in it so that he would look good. He literally gave himself to the relationship that he wants us to have with him. And so husbands, love your wives just like that, Paul would say. In, Philippians, or in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he said, Be continually, constantly, every day of your life, be filled with, dominated, and controlled by the Spirit of God. And when that happens, all the relationships in my life begin to line up according to God's plan. And instead of now being in this for me, instead of being in this relationship for what I can get, I'm in this relationship for what I can give. I submit to God and to other people. Paul would say, let me illustrate what that would look like. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children obey your parents. Parents, Do not provoke your children. Christian marriages and homes ought to be noticeably different than the world's because we walk a different walk. We're walking in step with the Spirit. We're allowing Him to direct our path. So every day of my life, I'm trying to think how He would have me treat my mate, how He would have me treat my children, how He would have me treat my parents. I've seen guys treat other women better than their own wives. I've seen women being nicer to other men than their own husbands. I've seen parents nicer to neighbors' kids than their own And I've seen kids nicer to their friends' parents than theirs. As believers, the best indication of living out the spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life is that I really have gotten rid of some junk. Lying and backbiting and talking about and all the things that I used to do. I've gotten rid of that stuff, and I've embraced compassion. I want to be more tender. I want to listen to the voice of God. I want to learn how to respond to the situation. I want to figure out how to react, how not to explode, how to speak to, how to discipline right and discipline well, how to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to serve my family and still maintaining my leadership in the home, which means obviously every single day of my life I'm going to have to say, God, I need your help. I really do want to live out a godly marriage. I do want my children to see it. I want them to notice that they're so confused out there as to what they hear, so I want them to see it in us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, every day of my life as I wake up today, how do I live that out? How do I demonstrate it so that they can see it? Not just hear about it, but so they can see it. And so they really genuinely do understand what a godly home and a godly marriage looks like. Because they're really getting a lot of mixed signals out there. Believers in Christ, the best indication of my spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life is I'm getting rid of that junk and I put on compassion. I put on humility and patience. And it's demonstrated in how I treat my wife and my husband, my kids and my parents. There's a book in the bottom of your sermon notes called Love and Respect, one of the better ones that I've ever read in context of marriage. It's uh, written with Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter in mind. And he kind of takes those two sections of Scripture and unpacks them really well. Helps us to flesh him out and see how to live those out. He refers a lot to uh, Ephesians 5, but also to 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, Peter says that husbands ought to live with their wives in an understanding way. We ought to show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. When Peter uses that phrase, show her honor as a fellow heir, he is saying to husbands, you need to value and prize your wives. Same concept of honoring your wife is found in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul says to husbands that we ought to love our wives as we love ourselves. He said no one ever hated his own flesh but he cherishes it. The passage clearly says that a husband cherishes his own flesh and he wants to do that or should be doing that with his wife to cherish her in that kind of way. A wife longs to be seen as special. She longs to be seen as that special person that Paul describes, she longs to be what Peter says, to be cherished. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes to singles. And he said, if that's how God's called you, if that's what God's called you to, that's fine. Don't, even want, don't let anyone ever tell you that you have to be married to be complete or fulfilled. It's not true. God's called you to be single, that's awesome. And he begins to talk about what that looks like. But not everybody is called to that. And a lot of gals want to get married. That's fine. That's awesome as well. But if I were to give you some advice based on what Paul is saying, and what Peter is saying in all these contexts of Scripture... To a gal who's single, dating a guy who doesn't treat her like Paul describes as special, like Peter describes as cherished, as valuable, as a prize. If I were seeing a gal date a guy like that and they were to ask me my advice, he's not treating me like Paul and Peter said, what, I, what ought I to do? My advice would be to them, dump him. Now. Now that's pretty harsh and pretty drastic. But if you were to walk into my office for the last 36 years and see a lot of people walk in here who said to me, well, he's going to change when I get married. I would love to take you by the hand right now and walk you into the outer office or the inner office and just let you sit behind the scenes every once in a while when I sit and counsel a gal who said to me or said to somebody else, he'll change after we get married, and he didn't. I don't want to be single the rest of my life. And I totally get that and understand that. But there are a whole lot worse things than being single, and one of them is to be in a kind of marriage that is so destructive that it eats your soul away. Can they change and can they grow in Christ? Absolutely. Jesus can do anything and everything. But if I were to give you some advice as a gal who is dating, especially getting close to the marriage age, and the guy who is not treating you well and not treating you as you deserve to be treated, with love and tenderness and grace and compassion and gentleness, like a very valuable prize, then you need to really seriously consider that relationship. And guys, I beg you, as much as I know how, treat a woman as God desires, as God designs, as she deserves not how the world or the media shows you how to treat them. Heaven help us if we don't. In Genesis chapter 2, when sin entered the world, every relationship fell apart. With me, I'm ashamed. With you, I become self-centered. And with God, I hide. But when Christ changes my life and I allow my life to be controlled by his spirit, relationships are made right. With you, I'm honest. With myself, I give. And with God, I run to him. Just think of a moment ago what we sang as we talked about that song and you remember what it's like in the Garden of Eden when they sinned and they fell and they came short of what God expected and what God asked and they couldn't wait to hide or couldn't uh, be in a place where they could hide long enough and now all of a sudden because of Christ and this relationship with him we get to run to him and be embraced by him. The beauty of the gospel is because of Christ, my relationship with myself and with others and with God can be whole again. And where all these changes most noticeably take place is in the Christian home. What Paul brings us here in Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, and 1 Peter and Philippians is a reverse of the curse. It's marriage as God designed it. And so for all of those reasons, for the Description that I said it could be for the love and the grace and the tenderness that comes into it. For all of those reasons, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become flesh. We see that before the curse in the Garden of Gethsemane. Marriage is God designed it. Now back to Colossians chapter 3.18 for a moment. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, Wives, submit to husbands who are doing it right. Wives, submit to your husbands, serve them. You will also notice in there it doesn't use the word obey. Do you have any idea how many guys come to me before I do wedding ceremonies and say, You are going to have the phrase obey in there? Love, honor, and obey, right? You're going to have that in a marriage ceremony. It's going to be in the vows. And I always say to them, No, because it's not in the Word of God. It says submit, it says love, it says respect, but it doesn't say obey. Now, it does say obey when it comes to your children. Oh, and by the way, it does say obey when it comes to slaves obeying their masters. That's not how you want your wife to be treated, right? Some will still say, well, I still want the word obey in there. (laughs) In this context, the word submit means a willingness to place myself in the position of a servant. You will also notice that it says to your husband. Not to everyone else's husband or to men in general. That's how many women are treated like children who have to obey or slaves who have to serve or second-class citizens, but that's not God's design at all. Sadly, many marriages function that way, but it's not God's design. And what we have to decide is, are we going to follow God's design or the world's? We have so many guys growing up learning to be takers and not givers, seeing women as objects to use instead of someone to serve. Now, Paul is honest about marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, as he talks about being single, and that's okay, he goes on in verse 28, says, okay, if you're going to get married, I just need you to know right up front, there's going to be some trouble. God's honest. Marriage is hard. In your sermon notes, I have this phrase, I believe marriage can be one of God's greatest tools for your sanctification because when you put two people together, all the issues of their life come out. All of our selfishness that no one confronted us with when we were living alone now comes out and someone confronts us with it. But if you stay together and work through the process, it can be one of God's greatest tools for our transformation. Dave Johnson, a pastor friend of mine, says this. Marriage is like two pieces of tough meat being thrown together in a pressure cooker and then the heat gets turned up. And if those two people treat each other with love, respect, honesty, and grace and stay in the pot, Over time they get tender and all the juices begin to flow, and it will be amazing. But you gotta stay in the pot. Ephesians five said, In the same way husbands love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds for it and he carries it, cares for it, just as Christ does the church. I allude to the movie Fireproof in the bottom of your sermon notes, and you've seen it, sure, and Other contexts as well, but men who will fight to the death in combat for their comrade but won't fight to the death for their mate and won't do everything that's necessary to be all that they need to be in that relationship. I've seen guys do so much for other people, to excel at work, to learn a hobby and practice it with excellence. but have no clue how to have a great marriage and don't seem to want to try. I've said to guys before, I I don't, I don't get it. You can open up the hood of a car and you know every piece of that engine. I open up the hood, I hope there's an engine there. But you open up the hood and you say, well, the valves aren't right, the springs aren't right, the cam's not working right, and you would absolutely know what to do and how to take that thing apart completely. You could tear it all apart, take every piece out, set it out somewhere, put it all back together, put it in there, turn the key on, and it would run. But you come to me and say, I don't understand my wife. You understand that much of an engine, and you haven't taken the time to understand your wife. I know guys who know every aspect of golfing who know how to swing and where to swing and what club to use, what ball to use, what field they like the best, what range it's going to be, how to do it well, how to understand every aspect of golf. I know guys that can do that with hunting. They can take a bullet apart. They know exactly what the intricacies of that are. They know what load is best. They know how much powder to go in there. They know what bullet weight they want. to have the best definition they want when that bullet is down the stream. And the list is endless of things that we'll do and things that will take time to learn and understand. But they'll come to me like that and say, I don't get it. I just don't understand her. You can do all of these things. You can learn how to do all of these things. You can learn how all of this works. You can be a master at this. But you won't take the time to understand this gift of God who said yes to you and said he would spend the rest of their life with you. And you come to me and say, I just don't understand her and I don't get her. We have to figure out what we're going to pass along to the next generation. Changing the course of marriage to be as God designed it, as God intended it, will take time and an enormous amount of effort. (laughs) But God, help us if we don't. As I said last Sunday morning, there is a tsunami coming at us to try to destroy Christian marriages and try to destroy the home. And if we who sit in a church every single Sunday who have this amazing gift of God in the Word of God, don't embrace it and understand it and then apply it to our relationships. Heaven help us to try to impact the next generation. Four sections of Scripture. You don't have to know everything, every intricacy about the Old Testament or the New Testament. Yesterday it was fascinating to sit here and watch people go through the Old Testament. It's one of the most enjoyable few hours I've spent Watching people fully embrace and understand all the nuances of the Old Testament and be able to do it in motions. Next Sunday morning, you're going to see them demonstrate it. And they'll come to me and say, man, there's so much I don't understand about the Old Testament, so many things in the New Testament I don't get. And, man, I understand that as well. If you notice, when I did the book of Joshua, there were half a dozen chapters I never even dealt with. But what I'm saying simply is this. Here are four sections of Scripture. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. Philippians 2 and 1 Peter 3. Just those four, take them and lay them over your relationship between a husband and a wife and do everything you possibly can just to live out those four on a daily, ongoing basis. And I'm telling you, as you do and as time goes by and as you watch it unfold, you will see an incredible relationship that you can then freely and wonderfully pass on to the next generation so that they too know how until Jesus returns to live until the end, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, or Jesus comes back. And you can watch us do it. Paul boldly said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Four pieces of Scripture lay it over your relationship, and let God use it in amazing ways. On Friday night, a couple of hundred people gathered here for a beautiful ladies' funeral memorial service, Karen Crispin. And I looked at Dave sitting in the front row, and I said to him, Dave, I've had literally over 200 couples stand before me who said, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, who really had no idea what they just agreed to. But to watch you, Understand in sickness and in health and love her till death do you part. It was an amazing gift to the next generation and an amazing gift to your children. You and I who are sitting in these pews this morning have the opportunity to live that out to those who come behind us. May God find us faithful. So in your notes, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands live a life worth respecting. That's God designed. My prayer for you is don't ever, ever, ever settle for less. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I, again, I love your word. You don't leave us in a way of trying to figure all this out, trying to figure out how to do marriage, how to do life how to follow you. But in this context of marriage, you've given us some great pieces of scripture to lay over as a road map for how to live out this relationship called marriage. And so, Father, for all of us in the room, we're here because we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to influence the next generation. And so, Father, as we Process your word and the words that you've said to us and the words you've left for us. May you continue to allow us to flesh it out in the ongoing daily relationships in our marriages. And next Sunday morning, as we talk about home, I'd love to pray for you as the end and as we end this morning. I want to embarrass you in any way, so just keep your heads bowed.